Hello everyone, a quick heads up before we get started with this episode. We will very soon be changing the name of this podcast from the fifth edition to Strategic Whole Life. And don't worry, the topic of our podcast is not changing. We're fully committed to the infinite banking concept and helping people understand how it works. The reason we're changing the name of the podcast is we found that the fifth edition was just a little too esoteric. It was originally a callback to the final print edition of Nelson Nash's Becoming Your Own Banker, but it wasn't helping people find us and the information that we're sharing in our podcast. So keep an eye out when you see the new name pop up in your feed. It's still us. And we're looking forward to doing many, many more episodes with you. Thanks. And now let's get on with the episode. Episode number 82. Today we have the pleasure of talking with Todd Lankford, who is one of my mentors in this business. And uh, Todd is the founder and creator of the Truth Concepts software, which is an advisor-focused software uh, package that really provides many tools, helping advisors show Uh, the whole truth behind some of the different things that are happening in our uh, financial lives. And really grateful to have Todd on this podcast. Uh, As many of you know that listen to the show, I made a big career change, you know, several years ago out of tech and into this business. And one of the things that helped me do that, I actually went to one of Todd's trainings before I was even in this business because I just wanted to see how everything was working. I met him and his wife, Kim Butler, And they really helped me meet the right people, including Trent Fortner, who was on the other day to get a really fast start in this business and helping people with their financial lives. So Todd, thank you very much for joining me today. Maybe we could just kick this off and we could learn a little bit about you and your background and how you got into this business, because it's a a really interesting story. Sure. Really happy to be here. Thanks for the invite. I, I love this industry. Talking about it, getting the word out there, it's it's really an important piece. For me, my background's, you came from the tech industry. My degree is actually in biology. I was too, actually. I was a biology major. Didn't do anything with that major. Went into tech and now, yeah, so that's good. <laughs> it pulled me out because when I was actually going to school for my biology major, I needed some part-time work and the IBM PC had just come onto the scene. So I I was helping actually a financial advisor, a big estate planner, because for the most part in those days, life insurance and overall financial planning was not something that was done for the common person. It was really just the high income type of people. And it was mostly estate planning type stuff. Right. I found the computer fit me. And so I started working with a financial advisor who was we had a lot of computers and that kind of thing. So the place I was working through, the computer place, I spent a lot of time in Norman Baker's office. That's my mentor in the industry. And I created spreadsheets so he could go out and talk to his clients and those kind of things. And then we were introduced to the type of planning that you and I do now today for, for everybody. And um, it kind of went against the grain at the time. And so it was like, wait a second, this couldn't be right. And set out to disprove it. And yeah. All the spreadsheets actually showed that oh, you know what <laughs> right. stuff is real. <laughs> yeah. So us spreadsheet nerds really can make a difference sometimes. There you go. <laughs> but but that really made me see just the depth of what it is that we do and the impact that it has on people's lives. And so it was a total shift. So you've been in the business for a long time. You know, you've been on the forefront of a lot of the different systems that have been put in place, especially software systems in this business. How would you define the people that are in our circle? Like in the little 
kind of circle that we have inside the financial services business and insurance business, what would you say we are? <laughs> if that's not yeah, too that, that, broad of a that question. is a yeah, that is a different group of people. It's a group of people that really care about their clients overall, and so I, I would say this. The industry as a whole deserves the bad reputation it has. Okay. It's got a it's got a pretty poor reputation and it's earned it. However, I don't have to deal with the general public in our in in the of the industry, right? Our inner circle of advisors, they're unique. They're the ones that are trying to do it right. They're the ones that are getting sometimes blamed for some of the bad stuff just because they're part of the, the bigger mm-hmm. picture. Right. Right. But they continue to try to get the message out there and really show people how to succeed. And that's, that is a different piece. And I think a lot of times people think we could always have robo advisors, right? If it's all about math and sure, there's a ton of math here. I am from a software side. I understand the math. That's a big piece. And yet if it's all about the math and that's all that it is, then why have advisors? The truth of the matter is, for most of the industry, robo-advising would probably be better than some of those advisors. But for our inner circle, for the people that you and I get to connect with from the advisor standpoint, that that's where we can look outside of the numbers and say, okay, yes, the numbers say this, but because of your particular situation, maybe you need to shift this way or that way. So the numbers give us initial place to guide and say, hey, this is the pure efficiency, but we have to step back if we're gonna really be advisors and look right. at what the client's actual situation is, right? Exactly, it's not, someone's life is not a math equation. <laughs> it's, we really have to pay attention to what's going on and pay attention to their situation and do what's right for them. You answered this in a way, I mean, why do you think the folks in our circle are so important and so needed right now? Because there's so much misinformation out there. And that's a weird thing. Um, you yeah. know, people say, well, wait a second. How could you have misinformation in something that's math-based? Right. But, but what happens is the, the math that's done incorrectly, it, it, the math is done right, the formula is wrong. Okay, right. so that's the big picture. It's, and, and what happens is, People confuse grade school math with financial math, and grade school math's all about right now. And so that's true, addition, subtraction, multiplication. But when you get into financial math, there's a third element, a third dimension, and that's time. And you can't take time out of the formula and have an accurate equation. And yet, it's done all the time in the financial industry. Like an extreme example, let's say, John, I came up to you and said, you know what, give me $50,000, and I'll give you $1,000 a year over the next 50 years, okay? If you look at, at grade school math, that's the same money, right? There's no difference, right? right. You should be perfectly happy with that, okay? <laughs> that's because the element of time is left out of the equation, and nobody would ever do that, and yet that's the kind of math that's often done incorrectly in the industry. Yeah, and would you say, um, what's a more common example of that? Would it be something along the lines of how much interest you pay on your mortgage, that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's one that really hits home pretty hard. And, mm-hmm. and again, the element of times left off, it's these advisors or these quick pay off your mortgage schemes, those mm-hmm. kind of things. Oftentimes what it is, they add up the interest you paid over time and compare it to something else. 
and they leave out the time value of money. And you just can't do that and have an accurate, look, the math is right that they've done, it's just the formula is wrong. So it's the incorrect result. And so with that, as we've talked quite a bit about how 30-year mortgages are usually better than 15-year mortgages for that very reason. And it depends on the time frame. We've had, we've been really fortunate with interest rates. People have gotten to where they expect them to be down in the threes and fours, and that's pretty unique. And yet it's gone on for a long time. And now that we're seeing interest rates kind of climb up, there's a different discussion around mortgage rates. I think they'll come down just when it hurts when it gets to a place, they see that it's really hurt the housing industry, but who knows? That's speculation. But really, that's one of the areas that's really misunderstood is how interest rates work. Yeah. I had some conversations with people and they're, they'll buy a whole life policy. They'll want to use policy loans to go buy some kind of asset, whatever it is, or maybe it's even a liability. It doesn't really matter, but they'll, they'll get into this mode of trying to pay that back as, as quickly as possible. And uh, you know, so I'm wondering what you think about the way that I've tried to talk about this. I'm like, if you're, if the idea is we want to use other people's money to get a kind of multiplier effect on what we're doing or create some efficiency on what we're doing, if, if you take an extreme example, if I borrow the money today and I pay it all back tomorrow, I paid the loan off and I saved a bunch of interest, but didn't I really just use my own money? You know what I mean? So I've, I'm no longer using other people's money. So there's this idea that we'll use other people's money, but then they want to not use other people's money as quickly as possible. So it's like a weird disconnect, I think, in terms of how people are thinking about interest. It, it absolutely is. And it, everything has to be put in perspective. And here's the thing. The interest rates really need to drive that decision from a pure economic standpoint. Now, not from a real world standpoint of what kind of risk and other pieces, yes. but just looking at the pure economics if I can think about this, if I can earn 6%, so I decide to borrow money, say at 4% to go put it in something that I'm earning 6%, well, that's Mm a 50% increase. And people aren't taught to think in those terms, but that literally is how that works. Most people say, oh, that's a 2% increase. No, it's not. It's actually a 50% increase going from four to six. And so if we understand that piece, then why would we want to take 6% dollars to pay down 4% debt? That's right. right? (laughs) And so uh, that's what happens when we accelerate those payments. We have to step back and look at it in perspective. And I know that part of the fear comes in from what's put out there on these quick payoff schemes and other things is the amount of interest you're going to pay. Okay, the interest is irrelevant. I'm going to earn more interest at 6 then I'm going to pay it for. So right. the point is, I'd want to keep that 4% as long as possible if I could earn six. Now, again, pure economics. But but you're right. I think most people understand, hey, I, when I go buy a piece of real estate, I want to use other people's money. And then they get into a mode of, let's take every extra dollar and put it back against this loan. And yeah. we don't want to let those loans just sit there. But right. we may want, if we've got some opportunity that's larger than the loan rate, the loan cost, then we would want to take advantage of that before paying the loan back. But I also think some people, because of the way life insurance is talked about, if you're talking about a life insurance loan, I think some people sometimes have this idea where I'm borrowing my own money. So if I pay this back, I'm paying myself back. And that's just totally not true. You know, it's a separate loan with the insurance company, separate from our cash value is just the collateral. So literally, it's just like borrowing money from the bank or anywhere else where we have to put up collateral, right? 
Yeah. And, and I would say it's not unfortunate that we don't pay ourselves back because we have this 150 year old insurance company running everything for us that we're a part owner of. Of course, we want them to be profitable. But you're right. It, it is described that way far too often, which is interesting because we talk about noise in the typical financial planning world where there, there's also noise in, in our world that we have to overcome sometimes as well, just from maybe some misunderstandings or incomplete information. Well, you, you know, we uh, had a conversation about whole life insurance. And one of the one of the things that you talk about in your truth concepts trainings is the quote unquote, horrible return of life insurance, right of whole life insurance. So people have this, there's really a very strong sway out there from various sources, that a lot of people are really just convinced that whole life insurance is this ridiculous, terrible investment when they compare it to other assets. Can we talk a little bit about that? I, I think part of that comes from, again, we talked about the industry as a whole has maybe not the best people in it. Mm -hmm. It's got a bad reputation. It's earned it. And I think, unfortunately, that stretched out into some areas where now life insurance, as an example, is an easy target. Where people say, oh, it's got a terrible rate of return. Everybody just jumps on that same bandwagon without actually looking at what happens. Right. And if you understand it, it's got a phenomenal rate of return for the type of asset it is, especially. Yeah. But what happens overall is people compare the net return in a life insurance policy to the gross return in everything else they're comparing against. So it's not the same, it's not the same animal. And if you boil that down and you see what you would have to earn um, in an alternative investment, gross to get the same net return you have in life insurance policy, I think most people would be pretty shocked based on, you know, what the word on the street is about that, that terrible return. But with life insurance, people talking about, well, there's high commissions, there's this and that. Yeah, but the commissions are already taken out. The returns that you're looking at are all net of that. Yeah. And then people look at like market assets, uh, you know, hey, I could put money in the market and earn 8%. Okay, well, that's 8% gross. That's before taxes and that's before commissions. So now right. then when the commissions and fees, you do have to take that off your return because those are right. going to come off of that 8%. And now, wow, just to do what a life insurance policy does, you'd have to do 8% every single year and you still wouldn't even have the death benefit or the other benefits that come with the life insurance policies. If you really take an honest look on a level playing field, which is what Truth Concepts is designed to do, is look at everything right. in light with all of those extra pieces, you'll see it has a much better return. It's a shock for a lot of people. And it's interesting because a lot of people, when they make these comparisons, they're first of all looking at whole life insurance through the lens of an investment, which is an incorrect right. way to look at it. So you can tell already that they they have all these misconceptions about it because the, the only other thing they know is to look at like how a mutual fund is set up or something where you know you put your money in and then the commissions come out, then the fees come out, then the taxes come out. So they're really, they've really been trained to look at financial assets really in only one way, where life insurance is a completely different type of asset class, more, uh, I usually call it a cash asset when we're talking about that type of thing. And that's how the cash value, I think, really operates. But it's so much more than that when you count in all the things you can do with the death benefit. That's in my opinion. So the cash value, obviously I'm infinite banking. I'm all about it, but man, if you, if that's the only way you're looking at this and you're really missing out on 
a lot of strategies that can be done because you have the presence of a death benefit. Yeah, see, so what you touched on is hugely important, and it's the piece that so many people leave out, and that is that class of asset. Everybody always wants to compare life insurance to this, hey, I can do 20% in real estate or whatever else. Yeah, but right. in order to be successful with real estate or successful with your investments in the marketplace, you're carrying a certainty asset along with you, and that is cash, or in the place of your equities portfolios, typically bonds. Okay, so that certainty asset that you have to have, why have it at those low rates where it's not really that much of a certainty asset anyway, instead right. of having a guaranteed place with, with whole life insurance? So that's really what you're talking about is that savings cash asset, not the investment piece. One of the analogies I like to use is spice of life. We need spice of life. That's part of getting us past the boredom. And life insurance can be considered boring, right? Because it does what it's supposed to do day in and day out. People like to have a little bit of excitement. They like to see sure. some of those ups and downs. That's why they invest in more risky places, okay? I, it's like getting on a roller coaster. If you put your kids on a roller coaster, you're going to make sure the seatbelt's fastened, right? <laughs> so they get to have That's the fun one. of the excitement and the ups and downs, but they've got that certainty asset to make sure they stay inside of there. And that's really what we're talking about with the life insurance cash value or cash, which is what most people end up doing. They've got a bunch of real estate. They've got a bunch of cash laying around earning nothing. Yeah. Why not shift those dollars to life insurance and actually get a return and a death benefit thrown in yeah. together. So. And some other protections as well. I had a buddy during COVID and during that little market downturn in 2020. And I remember something he said, he was like, Man, I'm not even looking at my retirement account right now. I can't even look. It's <laughs> how long can you afford to not look at your retirement <laughs> account? Like how long is that going to work for you? You know, having at least some of what you're doing in having, having those types of guarantees and this comes directly from you, Todd, having that certainty allows you to take some of that risk, just like you were, what you were saying, allows for the, that spice of life piece of it. I was just going to say, here's the thing. You can map stuff out on paper with those exciting assets, the investment side, but there's always those unknowns out there, right? That you can't put into a math formula. That's this right. real estate deal can look great on paper, but then COVID could hit or 9-11 or whatever other black swan event, which we know is going to occur right out there in the future. They're coming. We don't know what they're going to be, but they're coming. It's just a continuous process. So what is going to happen to that asset if all of a sudden, let's say real estate, you're not getting renters? Because of a change in the marketplace or something like that. What do you how do you survive that? And so without that certainty asset in place, whatever it is, you really, the risky assets are more like gambling. You might as well put your money on the slot machine or the roulette wheel and see what happens. But if you want to actually do investing in those ups and down types of assets, you've got to have some certainty held back so that when those events occur, you don't lose everything. And the, it's the certainty asset allows you to get through those bad points because almost all the time that happens immediately after the critical piece is over with all of a sudden the investments start to soar again if you've lost your investment in that process you didn't get to you didn't get to experience the the high side right 
And that's what, so the, I just actually posted a thing on LinkedIn. You know, there's so many people out there talking about how it's dumb to hold on to cash and these, these other things you should have your money in whatever real estate or whatever the thing of the day is. So meanwhile, you've got these, the, some of the most well-respected companies. I'm just thinking of a couple examples like Apple and Berkshire Hathaway. They're holding on to hundreds of billions of dollars of cash. <laughs> and, the, and why are they doing that? Because they know that like you said, if one of these black swan events, there, there are going to be people that are not in a position to hold on to those investments and they're going to have to sell. And, the, and those companies are standing by ready to buy it up. And that, that's where the real, that's where the real investors really make big differences. It's not like yep. just taking every dollar out of your system and always buying something with it. Like having some timing is important, but We've been taught and we've been taught and it's not necessarily people's fault because putting money in a bank, you don't earn anything. So we've been taught, I would say, actually, we've been conditioned because there's zero growth in a bank account almost that it doesn't make sense to hold on to cash financially. So everyone's always looking for something. But if we have a place to put cash that, to use your words, earns a respectable return, I think that could change a lot of things and let people discover investments that really, uh, that the timing is right, which is probably one of the more important things. That's exactly right. Is if I am looking at, wow, my option is zero with this cash, then I got to right. find somewhere to put it and I'm just right. going to throw it at whatever comes along. So it may not be the, A, the best time to buy, but one of my good friends in the industry, Garrett Gunderson. So Garrett Gunderson talks about investment DNA and I mm -hmm. think that's a huge piece. When we talk about the investment side, we can't just be looking for something we think is going to do a return. It has to be part of us if we're going to survive. And, and I've seen this over and over. Thinking about real estate, people get on the bandwagon. Oh, real estate's a great place. So we're just going to buy some real estate. Okay, do you like real estate? I don't really know much about it. No. Right. Guess what? That person is not going to su succeed with that piece of real estate. And yet somebody else could come in and buy that exact piece of real estate from them who's invested in it from something bigger than just the money yeah, and they'll make it succeed. So, it so there's some pieces there that we have to be careful about of buying investments that actually fit us and that we have some say in and that we're actually enthusiastic about, not just the hope of some return because we probably won't do the right things. Man, that's such a good point. And it, it didn't used to be like, if you didn't want to have to think about anything, you used to be able to just put your money in a bank and earn, I don't know, 8%, maybe even a little bit more. And that's what those were for. If you didn't want to think about an investment and you didn't want to take the time to learn and understand what you're getting into, you used to be able to just put your money in a bank and it would grow. But now people are, like you said, just looking for places to put dollars. So they're getting into the, all these different types of investment avenues. They don't really know what they're doing. And I'm not saying don't go out there and learn, but I'm just saying maybe don't put every all your money into it. You know what I mean? Right. Have a holding place until you yeah. can decide that's the place to go, right? That's right. And that's that's what's really key about what you said earlier. It's don't just throw it out there into some place you have no idea how it works. But people do it because they don't want to see it sitting at zero. So let's put it in something that's a good holding tank and let's go learn about these other things and see maybe there's an investment that I'm really excited about. If I'm really excited about it, I can probably make that investment work. That's great. 
we had a conversation about switching a little bit on the same lines, but switching gears over to investment portfolios. We were talking about the certainty aspect, and most people are trying to get that certainty with bonds in, in a typical whatever, 50-50, 60-40 type of portfolio. Can you go through what we talked about before about that situation and how whole life insurance might be a great alternative rather than trying to use your bond portfolio to provide that certainty? So what happens is, in fact, there was an article out. um, I wish I could remember exactly what the headline was, but it showed a Wall Street guy clearly with the stuff in behind. And oh my gosh, this is just the worst. And it was this idea that because bonds have hit a new record of 4.8% and it's going to wipe out the equity side. And it's so, so they're touting 4.8% gross before at least uh, a point in, in um, fees plus taxes are going to have to pay on that. So they're still well below the return in life insurance policy. And yet this is supposedly going to really compete with the equity side. And, and I think what happens when we start talking about life insurance to fill that bond area could be huge. And most people, they look at their portfolio and they don't talk about the bond side. They talk about the equity side, right? It's the one that's got the excitement and the big returns on it. And the bond something they have to have in order to shore up in case things don't go like they're supposed to. Yeah, And so... They end up pulling money, those bonds at a low rate, pulling money from the equity side when they have to do that rebalancing each year. And so they really hurt the return on the equity side. But if we could get life insurance to play the role of that bond portion, not only do we pick up those external benefits that we have with life insurance, but now we're actually pulling less money because of the better return from the equity side when we rebalance. So it lets the equities get even bigger. Yeah, not to mention all the tax you pay every time you do that. So yep. it's just dragging it down more and more. Um, that's It's such a powerful conversation to have about that. By the way, that article you mentioned, the people touting the high rates of return of bonds, those are usually the same people that talk about how whole life insurance has a horrible rate of return. Right. So it's, a, it's an interesting disconnect that is out there with a lot of the typical financial people. So, man, that just takes everything. It's such an easy improvement to make, obviously, as long as you qualify for life insurance, which is why it's important to do it. You're never going to be younger or in better health than you are today, most likely. So if you qualify today, it's probably the best time to get it. I think it is interesting on one of the things you said about health and age. And it's funny, a lot of times people will look at life insurance Let's say that they all of a sudden see the light and realize, you know what, maybe I've been lied to all this time frame. Let me look at life insurance and maybe they're older and they're thinking, man, if I'd just done this when I was younger, as long as you're healthy, the rate of return in life insurance policy is actually still good on older people. The premium's yeah. higher, but that higher premium uh, creates more cash value. And so over right. time, as long as you're comparing the same time frames, age is not a huge impact on what you can get from the standpoint of return over time. It's just if you can stay healthy, right? That's the big piece. That's a great point. And we all have older clients and then, and the numbers work out. They're pretty good. That's really, like you said, it's just the health piece of it. Something that I would like to talk about just with whole life. One of the things in infinite banking and in our world, and just, we talk about the noise. One of the 
One of the biggest sources of noise is policy design. There's a lot of just, just a lot of stuff out there that I would call inaccurate information or really high focus on getting the most cash value in the first year of the policy, which of course on this podcast, we talked that there are always trade-offs to that. By the way, another, maybe you could say it, what you learned from Nor Baker, there are no deals in the life insurance industry. Yeah, that's, that is such a huge piece of, I try to get that across to advisors so they can spread that to their clients and get it around the world. But there really are, there's no deals in the insurance industry. And that's, think about it. I think most people can relate to property and casualty insurance, Mm -hmm. buying a building or something like that, and then having to insure it. There's different exclusions that the insurance companies can do. They can say, oh, we're not going to, we won't insure it if this particular thing happens. And you can save some money on that. Why? Because basically the insurance company shifted some of the risk off of their shoulders back to the person that owns the building. And so everything is that way. And when you see something in the insurance industry where, okay, this is really cheap. If it's really cheap, then the insurance company has probably figured out some way of shifting some of that risk off. And it's not that it's a bad thing. It's just the way it is. Everything, they use actuaries on everything. What's the likelihood of this many buildings burning down in this amount of time frame? Okay, so we have to have the proper amount of premiums coming from that pool to cover those and might still be profitable so that we can pay claims. Same thing happens in the life insurance industry, right? Right. And so if you have a a particular product that's like super cheap compared to everything else, if you dig into it, you're going to find out there was some risk that was shifted from the insurer to the insured. And so there's just no deals. Everything is a trade-off between cost and risk for the insurance company. And it's just the way it works. It has to. And so... When we understand that, we can really dig in and find out where these anomalies are. And when it, so when it comes to policy design, what are some of those trade-offs when you compare a couple of illustrations? One of them has like, just say 90% cash value in year one, and the other one has 50% or 60%. In your mind, what are some of those trade-offs that are happening when you get these folks that are just super focused on getting every last dollar they can in liquidity in the from day one or year one, however you want to look at it. Right. For them to do something like that, it violates the actuarial curve. And so the insurance company can play with that curve a little bit. And typically, when you push the cash up front hard, then the policy, if you follow it out over time, you're going to see a place where it actually drops a little bit in order to compensate for the fact that they overpaid and violated the curve up front. They've got to get it back on that curve long term because everything's on the same curve. And and what you'll typically find if you look at the actual return year by year and say at the on those high early cash value policies, they're touted as it's higher the cash value because there's less, less commission paid. There's less commission paid in the first year, but there's actually just as much paid. It's just spread out. And so there's some fallacy there about the way it's talked about. But what you'll see from the client standpoint is somewhere usually around the 14th, 15th year, there's a crossover. And that, that policy that had more cash up front actually performs poorer in the long run. And we're talking about somebody's life, their whole life. That's the point of whole life insurance, right? Do we care what happens in the front end for a few years versus the 50, 60, 80 years this person's going to be alive, right? We want the return for the long haul. And when we look at it in the right perspective, 
we want to be where we have the, the greatest return. And typically the early, the early high cash value policies are less because the insurance companies on the hook for more up front. Yeah. They have more risk in those policies. It just goes right back to what mm. we were talking about. Yeah. And there's a lot of talk too along that line on policy design of, oh, you've got to put a whole bunch of PUAs on the policy, right? The problem with that, it, it's good if it's in the right real world position for the client. And mm-hmm. so it all depends on whether that's actually the best thing for the client. If we need a bunch more death benefit right. for the client, then we're going to want to see those dollars go a different way. And so it's all going to depend on where the client is. And so just a blanket statement of if a policy doesn't have PUAs on it, it's a terrible thing. Right. That's probably just a way to sell a new policy. That's what the advisor's doing when they say that instead of actually looking at the numbers. What do you think it is that the, if the insurance companies are taking more risk in the early years of these high PUA policies, are they doing it because they're able to sell more life insurance uh, or why do you think they're willing to do that? Are they just, they feel like they need to compete on that level because the conversation has shifted more to cash value over the last, I don't know, 30 years with life insurance. It, it has. People get blinded by that front end and it's the PUAs. See, what will happen is the same cash as let's say we had a 50-50 life insurance policy, 50% base premium, 50% additional cash. That additional cash buys very little death benefit. Okay. And so the insurance companies on less of a hook if death were to occur in that scenario versus if that whole premium was base, it would have bought a lot more death benefits. So the insurance company has more risk on all base policy. And it's funny, people look at that front end. It's, oh, I don't like the fact there's not as much cash up front. So that's why I'm going to put money in my qualified plan or some other place. What's interesting about that, that thought process is you don't have any cash in your qualified plan until you're 59 and a half, not any useful cash, right? right? So what does the front end really matter? What you really care about is what that does over time. I think there's just in the last few years, we've been way too much focus on pouring a bunch of additional paid up additions in the life insurance policy versus versus looking at how that fits into the, the client's life, right? Yeah, and it, it's a challenging discussion because you get to you get an investor like a real estate investor, especially. I find them to be more challenging or more frequently challenging than others, where they're just so focused on the lost opportunity cost in the early years of a life insurance policy. But I've used Truth Concepts to run the numbers, and I use my own Excel spreadsheets, and there is no question that if you can think past maybe five to 10 years, if you're, if, if you're a 30 year old or 40, like how long are you going to live? How long are you planning on living? <laughs> and so people get focused on the first year. Meanwhile, just as you said a minute ago, what about the next 40, 50, 60, 70 years? But it is a very difficult dis- discussion to help people understand that value is being created in those early years. I don't know if you have had a way to get through to those people. Yeah, it's tough because in most people's mind, what's happening is they're thinking, why would I take money that I'm earning 20% in the real estate world with for this four, four and a half percent life insurance policy? And 
that's not really the dollars we're talking about. We're talking about those other dollars that you have to have sitting around to make sure that 20% actually works out. And that's those cash pieces that we talked about earlier, right? Yeah. So you got to have that. But what's interesting is when you look at the whole scenario, you look at all of the ripples, that whole strategy has to be analyzed. And so with life insurance, when we look at using the whole life insurance as our cash certainty asset for that real estate. So it helps us on that end. It also provides a place where if an opportunity comes along, we've got that cash and we could jump on a great real estate deal or something else that comes along, right? Because we're in good position. But when we look at the long-term piece, that death benefit also plays a huge role. Most of the time, at least with the clients that we deal with, most of the time, one of a couple, if they're married, handles the real estate. It might be him, it might be her, whatever the situation is. But the other spouse, a lot of times, is wired differently, and they don't really know much about what's going on there. So what happens if that primary spouse dies with all that real estate? The, they're going to lose all of that was built up because that other spouse is not going to know what to do with it, and things are going to have to be done quickly. Whereas if the life insurance is there, it feeds in. And now that other spouse has some money, which buys time, right? Yes. To make sure all that stuff goes the way it's supposed to. So there's a bigger picture if we understand all of those ripples that occur as well. Yeah. I mean, that that's the real life scenario that we're, we've been talking about where the it's not an equation. It's not a percentage number that's happening in real life. Same thing with business owners. Selling your business isn't easy. A lot of people think they're going to sell their business and retire on on their money, and but they're already accustomed to having a pretty high income, and it's hard to it's hard to separate from that. It's hard to keep that going when it's time to sell your business. You need a qualified buyer and this, that, and the other thing. So. It, Having that, having that certainty piece and having a, a way that, like you said, to buy some time, I think is just something that so many people are missing right now. Yeah. And your analogy there with the business, with the other piece that happens there on the business that we see over and over again, that was the idea. They built the business. They've got great income. They're going to sell it at some time in the future. Now, here's what happens in a lot of those scenarios because there was no other prep handled. Every extra dollar they're dumping into their business rather than creating some other resources and now they've got a kid in the business right okay so this kid's joined the business now what are you going to do you're going to sell the business out from underneath this kid so <laughs> now you've got a real problem getting rid of that business right and is that kid going to qualify for a loan to buy the business from you for its full value no. yeah so there's all these pieces that need to be thought out up front and we want to cover as much as that as possible another place could be a temporary loss of job or or a temporary disability. What about a temporary disability? For most people, even if they've got the maximum amount of disability insurance they can have, it's only going to cover 60% of their income. Yeah. So is, are people saving 40%? In other words, if they were clipped down to 60%, is that going to be good for them? Heck no. They're going to be struggling on that. And so their savings is going to disappear. If we have the waiver of premium disability benefit on the life insurance premiums, yeah. Those life insurance premiums continue to get paid on top of whatever our disability insurance is. So now then yeah. our certainty plan still works out. Which by the way, usually it's only the base that's covered by those. So another reason to not ignore base premium when it comes to building up a building a policy. You know, and we should say that all these people that are that actually are planning to try to have some kind of legacy 
meaning like the having the kids start in the business and all that stuff. It's it's so great, but I think people are just maybe a little unaware of some of the real world challenges that can come in when it comes time to actually do that transfer. And the reason I'm saying that it's important to recognize that they have the right mindset, but maybe just not the all the knowledge is because I also talk to quite a few people that are like, I don't want to pass anything along. I, I want to, I don't want to give anything to my kid. And, and I, man, I have a hard time with those people too, where it's just like, really, that's your plan. I call it the save up, spend down mentality where Nelson Nash talked about your plan shouldn't be 30 years. It should be a minimum of 70 years. And I think it should be even further than that. But this idea that you're just going to save up a bunch of money and then spend it all. It's like, why were you even here? You know what I mean? It's a good job. Yeah, there's a there's a couple of interesting things in that scenario, and that is for the younger person, um, it's harder for them to see the importance of that legacy. And, and I've seen it with clients over the years that I've been 35 plus years I've been in the business. So I've seen clients in all phases. And, and what happens to those younger clients who say, I've earned mine, my kids can earn their own kind of mentality. I've seen it in every one of them. There's a switch that occurs out there in the future, whatever age that is, 60, 65, somewhere along there. And all of a sudden they say, you know what? What if we don't eat every day? Could we then save that money and give it to the grandkids? They'll skip the kids and go to the grandkids. But how do, how do, you, how do you tell a 30-year-old, 40-year-old that's going to happen to them? It's just not something that's very understandable. But I, I've seen it over and over again. I've seen it to know that it's, it's one of those things that occurs. But more importantly, I think is, even if you kept that idea about, I don't want to give this money away to somebody else, having that death benefit in place opens up all kinds of strategies that wouldn't be available for more efficiently spending all your other assets during that distribution phase, during that retirement phase. So having the life insurance death benefit in place, man, it, it allows you to be able to, to do some strategies and save some tax and do some other pieces, not for the heirs, but for the individual who owns it. And going through some of that and letting, letting a, a client see that this is a long-term strategy and we don't want to be locked into some path because we didn't have these other options, right? Because one of the things, uh, just to say life insurance paired with other assets is always going to make those other assets better. Absolutely. I was chuckling because I don't know if you watch TV, there's a show on Apple TV called For All Mankind, and it's a historical fiction about going to the moon, at least in the first season. And I was thinking of that's like what we're trying to do. We're basically trying to plot a moon landing, but instead of math and physics, all we have are probabilities and statistics. And so <laughs> we don't know where we're even going to end up by the time we maybe we'll make it to the moon. Maybe we'll crash. Maybe we'll make it to maybe we'll go all the way to Mars. We don't know. We're such a cool analogy, though, because that that really is as an advisor, the best thing that we can offer our clients is options, right? It's the ability to shift yeah. because we absolutely know that whatever you're, you're talking about the moon, there's people that are literally with the financial plan taking a BB gun and trying to hit the moon with it, right? We know <laughs> <laughs> there's going to be wind. There's going to be yeah. all kinds of things that aren't going to make that happen. We have to have some target out there in the future that we're working towards, but we have to have our assets in a place where we can shift because we absolutely know things are not going to remain the way they are today. And so many financial plans lock people 
in a strategy that they, they can't move on. And so if the environment changes over the next 40, 50 years, their plan's not going to work out. So you said BB gun and it made me think, is that, did you pick BB gun because most people are not saving enough? So it's a, it's the amount of <laughs> actual good. savings. They're, they're only saving like 5% of their income, whatever the number is. Was there anything, anything you'd like to share with any, do you have any like events coming up or anything that you'd like to talk about or other advisors listen to this podcast as well? What, how can people get in touch with you and all that yeah, good stuff? The, the best place, so my assistant, Katie, as she's at either support at truthconcepts.com or katie at truthconcepts.com, yep. and she can really guide you and get you in the right position. Also, I would suggest for advisors, go to truthconcepts.com. We have a blog out there that's got tons of information, all for free. You can just go spend all kinds of time there. You can download the software. Anybody can. doesn't have to be an advisor. We have clients from time to time that download the software just to look at some of the pieces and parts we've done. It'll it'll run for 30 days without um, having to purchase it. So it's in a mm-hmm. trial mode. So yep. um, anybody can, can play with it. Uh, my big thing is I would love that group of advisors that you're talking about are the people that we deal with in the industry, which is an anomaly for the good. I want to spread that. I want to build a force where we get this back to where it was designed to be. Really, the type of planning, the type of advising that we're doing is more traditional. We've seen typical get in the way in the last 30, 40 years, which has gotten off course. But really, life insurance is a solid foundation, was the traditional type of planning. And wealthy people, most wealthy people have a ton of whole life insurance in their overall portfolio. And just like the businesses that you were talking about earlier with all the cash. So it's unfortunately the consumer, the, the small guy yeah. um, has been hurt by a lot of the rhetoric that's out there. And it's getting the message out there, really taking an honest look at it from a qualified advisor. I think you're gonna see it be way different than what you expected. That's great. I'm in a several groups and I, one of the things that I always tell them is everyone in this group should have a truth concepts license and go to at least one truth training per year because it's just, it's one of those things you gotta, you have to keep doing it. You gotta keep, it's like working out. You gotta keep using that muscle. And that's the real way to creating in your mind, a really solid foundation on how the whole truth behind how this money is working for everybody. Todd, thanks so much. This has been awesome. I really enjoy every time we get to talk, I really enjoy it. So thank you for taking the time and appreciate it. Same here. I really appreciate you're doing the right things and pushing the message out there and, and uh, making a difference in the industry. Thank you. Thank you.